Prepare to be captivated by the business story of the week, hosted by me, Shaheen Shan. Join us on a journey through the twists and turns of entrepreneurial triumphs and setbacks. Immerse yourself in the narrative and witness the magic that turns dreams into reality. This is Business Story of the Week. All right, so welcome to Business Story of the Week. Today we have a former military Navy member. This guy has a really interesting story. So Peter Mann is now the founder and CEO of a company called Oransi. But let me introduce you to Peter Mann. Peter Mann is an incredible individual and he's got a fascinating background. Before diving into the business world, Peter spent four years serving our country uh, and he was in the Navy. During this time, he sailed the Red Sea as a communications officer and later became a gunnery officer abroad the USS McCandle. After leaving military, Peter embarked on an entrepreneurial journey and founded the Austin-based air purification company, Allen Corp. His hard work paid off when he achieved a successful exit after seven years, but his story doesn't end there. Peter took on a new venture as the CEO and founder of Oransi, a leading air purification company there in Virginia, and they're known for creating one of the most efficient and reliable air purification systems out there. Oransi caters to consumers, schools, organizations, and businesses. And Peter's dedication to clean air and his industry is evident as he is chair of the Cleaner Air Council, uh, and not only is he driven as a businessman, but he's an advocate for autism awareness in the workplace. And this is one of the crazy things. Imagine this. Peter served in the military. He started a business, and it was only later in life when he received a diagnosis for autism. And that inspired him to raise awareness and promote inclusivity within organizations. Peter, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you on. So the show is called Business Story of the Week and we ask everybody in their own way, the first question I ask all my guests is, what is or what has been your entrepreneurial journey? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I never set out to be an entrepreneur I always, you know, had this drive and, um, you know, interest in autonomy, but it was not something that I ever, um, I would say if I went back and thought about, you know, where I was um, when I was younger, I, I don't know if I had the confidence to do it. And, you know, I, I had 10 years experience at um, Tech Data and Dell, which are Fortune 100 tech companies, and the dot-com bubble burst was my push to like, okay, <laughs> this isn't very fun. And that was the push I needed to step out and and start, um, you know, an entrepreneurial company, which I, you know, co-founded with another person um, that eventually led to, you know, Alan. Um, but it was really the, the the push that got me into entrepreneurship. All right. So so look, so here, here's my question for you. What was the biggest lesson you learned in the military? Now, our guests uh, and as well as our, our listeners are heavily interested in entrepreneurship. 
And I know with people like Jocko Wilnick, and there's a lot of military guys out there now who are doing podcasts and doing shows, and they talk about discipline. People like David Goggins. What has the military taught you that you took to your business? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about the team. I think, um, you know, when you're in the military, you actually don't choose your team. They're, they're basically, they're the folks that are there. But um, your success depends upon the team and the team working together. And, you know, there's just a lot of variety and diversity um, in the military. And it's getting all these different types of people to kind of work together to, you know, solve a common problem or, or really just be aligned. Um, and that's really, to me, been the most um, common thing that I've seen um, with the military to, you know, entrepreneurship and, and business. That's amazing. So let's let's move forward a little bit with your autism diagnosis. So certainly you always knew that there was something that may be different about you. And then it goes unnoticed. Was it was it through your military life that you you didn't even know that you had an autism uh, diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, it's really just in the last couple of years is when it, when it came about. You know, if you grew up in the you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, very few folks were diagnosed as being autistic. It's only um, really in the last 10, 15 years that people have been properly diagnosed. And the diagnosis is really geared to children. And so if you're an adult, that you, you were just missed. And so now there's all these late diagnosed folks coming forward. I saw just a few days ago that Sia, the singer, um, yeah. was recently diagnosed as being autistic. And it's like it's not like there are not autistic people out there. It's just there's so many of us that, that are just going through life thinking we're just a little bit different or <laughs> and and not really understanding what it is. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of speaking out just because I know there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of folks um, out there who are autistic and just never been diagnosed. And it's, it's just a, a game changer once you, once you realize that and understand that about yourself. That's amazing. That's pretty powerful. So let's, let's take that a step forward. So at a certain point, you realize that you have a responsibility uh, to the environment, and you decided to start a company that arguably makes the world's best air filter, air purifier. Tell me about that. How did you come to that place? Yeah, I mean, I, I became interested probably around 20 years ago in air purification because my son was asthmatic and struggled with asthma, and I could see that things in the environment or the air were really triggering him. And so I wanted to do something really for him and people like him. Um, that was the solution to really just make their quality of life um, much better. And so that, that's really been my drive, and I think that's different than a lot of other people that are in this space, that they're just doing it and it's just a job. But for me, it's, it's a bit more personal um, in terms of just, you know, the people in my life and, and, and customers that I know where it's, it's um, dramatically um, improved their, their lives and quality of life. How do your air filters differ from the three million other air filters out there on the market? Yeah, well, it's interesting that before COVID, there there wasn't a ton of competition. I mean, there were several brands, but it wasn't like it is now. And in COVID, it kind of the market blew up, and everybody and their brother kind of got into the market <laughs> during COVID. So now it's a very competitive space. Um, 
And it's, it's, you know, to be honest, it's become more of a commodity type category. And so, um, you know, the way to separate yourself is to, you know, have a better story to tell and better connect with um, the folks that you're marketing to, um, you know, and that starts with building a great product and having it at the right price. Um, but I, I think also recognizing as hard as this is to swallow, the category has become somewhat commoditized because there is just so much competition. And so... Sure. Uh, but quality is really important in having, you know, highest quality filters. Uh, we merged um, with an electric motor company here in the U.S., and so we're um, in the coming months going to be manufacturing in the U.S., um, which will be a, a differentiator for us. There's a lot of things that we can do that other oh. people can't do. It's like if your product has a problem, we can fix it and send it back to you. It doesn't end up in the landfill. Like we may manufacture with sound environmental practices you pay people a living wage um you know and you can see the people that are actually making your product and and put a human face on a nameless faceless you know appliance yeah. <laughs> there you go no planned obsolescence and can, do you think you'll be able to stay competitive price-wise producing it here yeah i mean we've been working for a couple of years on that and you know i know if you look at uh, reuters and consumer reports have done some surveys and they found 70 to 80 percent of consumers prefer american-made products but very few people want to pay a price premium and so yeah. that's what we've been working to solve and um yeah we've figured that out it's all in the design of the product to make it yeah. uh, manufacturable and it's taking labor out which is by making it more efficient to manufacture so that's what we've done um it's why yeah. i'm really excited about kind of the future that's amazing. Yeah, it's look, it's true. I mean, I think we could probably make a lot more here. Like you look at Elon and the work that he's doing with Tesla and SpaceX and all, just all the stuff that he does. And I think, man, like remember during COVID when Elon was like, you know what, California, you, you're just making it really hard for us to operate. So we're out. And the governor was like, see ya. And I was like, what? I was like, Man, you know, like there's there's the guy, arguably the Henry Ford of our time, maybe more with what he's doing with these gigafactories and all these things that he's doing. And you've got a state governor that's, you know, basically kicking him out. And we don't get political on this show, not really. But I think the fact is that you've got to have that support from government. And the challenge that we face now as producers from what I've discovered from my many years of selling on Amazon, you know, in my other companies, we're one of the lead Amazon companies on the planet making all kinds of stuff and accelerating Amazon companies and selling it on the Amazon platform is that Amazon really spoiled the consumer. And even though the consumer's like, yeah, sustainability, this green, this, all that you're like, yeah, but you won't get it tomorrow. Ooh. Right. Or, uh, yeah, it's it's not going to be $99. It's going to be $169, but it'll be made in the U.S. and eco and green and all that stuff. And they're like, Oof, but that means I can't have two. And so I think that consciousness shifted a little bit with Amazon, right? Where people say, you know, is Amazon a force for good? Is it a force for bad? They really changed the market. They were, but at the same time, they've gone ahead and spoiled the end consumer, not necessarily in a good way. So 
On the other end of that spectrum, I feel like American manufacturers now have to step it up because in addition to figuring out how you stay competitive with product and technology, you got to figure out how to stay competitive with cost, right? You got to compete with these Chinese companies. You can be more, you can't be 10 times more, right? Because people just aren't going to pay it. The economy won't hold that. So how do you manage that gap between quality, uh, producing it in the US and cost? Yeah, and so, like I referred to earlier, it's really all in the design of the product. Um, if, if you look at the cost of uh, components and raw materials, um, things like that, it doesn't cost that much different in the U.S. versus in China. What does cost is the cost to put it together, the, <laughs> the development costs, the tooling costs. Some of those things are, are more expensive, and so what, what we've done is you know, if you look at a Chinese air purifier, I don't know, maybe it has 50 to 100 parts in it, you know, but if you can make it with a fraction of those parts, um, you just make some of the parts a little bit more complex. They, they assemble so much faster. Um, like we can make a product probably three or four times faster than you can in a Chinese factory. And so that means we just don't have all that extra labor that goes into the product that allows us to price it um, comparable to the Chinese imports and not have to deal with the U.S. consumer that doesn't want to pay even 5% more <laughs> for a U.S. product, which, and that's just the reality of it. And so you can't fight that. You have to figure out a better way of, of, of making it. Um, and, you know, the Chinese have built out a fantastic supply chain, which is not, we're not there in the U.S. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of government money going into things like chips and batteries and um, a number of other technology areas, which I think are really important, but I think it's also important to really build out the supply chain to effectively compete with them because we're we're not quite where <laughs> where they are at least in in terms of high tech products. Yeah, I you know I noticed that Peter when I was producing supplements, and here's a crazy thing: my supplement companies produce supplements for Chinese uh, resellers. And you think, well, isn't everything cheaper in China? No, the only thing that's cheaper in China is labor. So yeah. if American manufacturers like you uh, and us could use ingenuity, could use better design, smarter design, more efficient design, and reduce the biggest cost, which is labor, and that's, now that's not great for the workforce, but there'll be other jobs created just by the nature of our, of our uh, innovation, then we could be very competitive price-wise with countries like China. China has the big efficiency because they can pay people 20 cents an hour, have them live at the factory, and you've got this massive workforce that's cheaper than a machine. But when you get that machine going, like things like printing are cheaper here because printing now takes almost, it's almost completely hands off if you look at the major printing, packaging presses and those kinds of things. So there, there's a lot of things. The cigarette industry, which I'm not a big fan of also similarly, has huge automation. If you look at, you can run you know, 50,000 cartons of cigarettes, basically with two people running the machines, and one of them is just to make sure nothing breaks down. You need an engineer and a dude to run the machine, and that all is completely automated. 
So the U.S. can really excel in a lot of these industries, and I really commend you for uh, thinking about that and for being on top of it. If people want to connect with you or learn more about your products or purchase your air purifiers, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. Our website is aransi.com, O-R-A-N-S-I.com. And my name is Peter Mann, and I'm on LinkedIn. That should be pretty easy to find. Um, if just, <laughs> just, search, just search for me. Yeah, okay. Amazing, amazing. And for let's, let's just say last question. If you've got somebody who's got autism, who's got asthma, who's having breathing problems, who you know, has allergies, which, I mean, who doesn't have allergies, and wants to get an air purifier, which one would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, it really just depends on what size your room is. Um, I mean, we have um, three models right now. We'll be adding, you know, some additional ones over the summer. <clears throat> and it's really um, it's really just a function of your room size. And so we have our, you know, Mod Junior model is really for small, medium-sized room, and our Mod Mod Plus models are for larger size spaces. They just have more airflow, and that's the main difference um, in terms of finding a, an air purifier that's going to work for your space. Super. Okay. So it's oransi.com, O-R-A-N-S-I.com. We are not affiliated with Oransi, but they have some pretty good modern-looking HEPA air filters, and they're soon to be produced in the U.S. Uh, by a veteran-owned company. So anybody that's interested, take a look at that. If you want to look up Peter Mann, he's on LinkedIn and on the Internet. Peter, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed it. All right, so here's the thing. We try to get a little bit better every day, but we can't do it without you. So if you like the video, make sure to like and subscribe below. And if you have any comments, just leave them in the space under.